recording in just a few minutes. Just kind of move forward. I want to welcome you again to the Scribal Conservatory Arts and Worship Center. I want to just encourage you this morning, if you want to know what's going on, what we're doing, if there are any last minute decisions, last minute anything, be sure to drop into the Bible study group for updates. If our service is canceled at the last minute, you log in and no one is here, there's a reason. And as much as it is possible, that reason will always be posted inside the Scribal Conservatory Arts and Worship Center Bible Study Group. This morning, we're going to begin talking about um, family matters. And we're going to do it from the perspective of healing. We're going to talk a lot about healing so that we can transition into this easily and move into other topics. In my experience in, in ministry and in yours too, probably, I've had and been through a lot of teachings on family, but I think I want to do this one a little bit differently because I don't want it to be about, um, you know, just fighting mother-in-law or um, just dealing with being the black sheep in your family. You know, the, the conversation and the terms that we use, I believe it's a larger conversation, but one we need to have nonetheless based on your feedback and the things that you've mentioned to me. So we're gonna set the foundation for that this morning. And afterwards, we're going to begin to move in specific topics. I think we can deal with some of those in Bible studies. I'll talk to some of you who will be teaching Bible studies so we can be led along that path continuously. Um, we'll look at having some special Saturday morning sessions for a couple of hours, maybe an hour, kind of like a Bible study so that you don't lose your day on a Saturday morning. But at the same time, we can go deeper and we can go farther in this. And finally, I want you to know that the most important thing we have right now in the times that we are living in is relationship. And we need to understand that God is a relational father. He is relational. And at the end of the day, it's never about rules and regulations. It's about love. Not because I said it, but because the greatest commandment is loving God and loving others as we love ourselves. So healing is all about getting us to those places, loving God, loving others as we love ourselves, as we love ourselves. So that part of healing has to be the foundation for teaching healing. <laughs> it has to be the foundation for teaching healing. I've been through a lot of healing classes, courses like some of you. I've been through the um, whole healing process uh, and, and the healing concepts associated with um, Christian International Ministries. I've been through Sozo. I've been through Living Waters. These are all international healing programs. I've been trained in these things. I've been through the deliverance manual process. I've read Pigs in the Parlor. I've done all the things that traditional ministry has done. And the Lord has, in those times when I was doing ministry that way, the Lord met us. But in this day and time, I believe that we're moving in such a um, fast-paced manner with the way the church exists 
everything we have known the church to be up until I would say 2000 has flipped on us. I mean, it's flipped. I mean, wow, everything is so different. And the thing about it is the way we do ministry is constantly changing, including the structure of church. We're literally living in a new day and a new time. Absolutely, everything has been shaken and we're not done with that shaking. But at the end of the day, I want you to know that what the Lord is concerned with and what he has always been concerned with is the soul of his people, the soul of the church, the heart of the congregation, the center of everything, and that it be turned toward him. I want to show you that God cares about family. And we're going to talk about family today from blood family perspective. God cares about blood family as much as he cares about spiritual family. And we have to know this. Oh, we have to know this. I'm just going to run through a few scriptures. They won't be um, espousing on them, but on all of them. But I want you to see that we can see God's love for family. Genesis 2, 24. This is why man leaves his father and his mother and is united with his wife and they become one flesh. I'm not looking at context here, but I want you to see how God feels about the marriage connection, how he feels about this. He wants the husband and the wife to become one flesh as if they are one person, as if they are one mind. It's such a profound way of, of beginning the process of examining how God sees family and, you know, this relationship, even though husband and wife is not blood, it's as close to blood as you can get. It supersedes that in the sense of marriage. So we see him starting out talking about one flesh. I want us to look at um, this scripture. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I can't wait for us to do... Um, a Saturday morning on this because this has been sorely misunderstood. We teach it as lording, as a weird kind of submission. We teach it in a way that um, in our congregation that makes man, the husband, a king, you know, and, and, and makes the woman subservient to that. But I want to give you some other principles from this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. I want to let you know, culturally, we have to look at how some of these things are conveyed. But the point here is simply that the Lord sees um, the relationship within a family as a, re a relationship in a marriage, as a relationship of honor, as a place of, of service to one another, as a place of, of really being that one flesh walked out. He says in verse 28, this is Paul, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So we're again seeing some views that the church presents to us 
on how relationships should be in family. This is not about lordship. We have a little of that culture jumping in. But we want to see, again, the greatest two scriptures, loving God is what he's talking about here, and loving the wife or loving the husband as one's self. For no one ever hated his own flesh, which is powerful, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. That scripture, that passage to me is powerful because it not only applies to the context here, but it applies to why God wants us to love one another as we love ourselves. And it's simply because for no one has ever hated his own flesh. Now we know there are people who do hate themselves or we wouldn't have suicide. So we're not talking about that aspect of it right now. We're talking about the design is that we love ourselves. The design of the kingdom is that we love ourselves. The design of the kingdom is that we love ourselves. And then we can look at others and we can say, if I love myself like this, Lord knows I want to love other people like this too, because I wouldn't want to hurt myself. So I don't want to hurt anybody else. There's a design to this. There's a beauty to that passage. There's an understanding that if I hurt myself, I'm hurting myself in a way that I may not be able to recover from. So it's a respecting of your own existence. If we can respect our own existence, we would never hurt other people in our midst, not intentionally, because we would see the arm standing next to us, the toe that accidentally um, may have hit us under the table. We'll see the smile as a part of who we are in our, in our corporate identity. So I love that part. And it says here, therefore, a man, there's that passage again, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. We just saw this from Genesis. We just saw this in Genesis. Now we see it again in the new covenant. And this is the part that I want to point out too. This mystery is profound. <laughs> this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So we have always heard this passage taught from the perspective of marriage, but the intention of it is right here. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We really need to see this. Even family relationships, we can be pulled from this passage of scripture. This passage of scripture intentionally was really about explaining Christ's relationship with the church. And he was just using marriage as an example of that. But the point is double. The point is double. The point is God wants us to honor our marriages. He wants us to honor our family. And he wants us to honor the mystery of the church, the mystery of the church. Um, one thing that my husband and I tell people when we're counseling them in their marriage is that, uh, that, is that Lord, the Lord wants us to approach marriage as the highest example 
of what um, the church is supposed to look like in the spiritual realm. What do I mean by that? I mean, listen, if some of you here right now that are married, you already know if you can deal with your feelings when you're having a bad spot in your marriage, marriage breaks you. It lets you know that you are not the center of the universe. Marriage teaches you how to be community focused, not individual focused. Marriage teaches you how to put others before yourself. Marriage teaches you about partnership and collaboration. Marriage teaches you about sacrifice and giving. Marriage teaches you to love people beyond their faults, beyond their um, disturbances. Marriage teaches you how to endure when it's the worst that it could be. Marriage shows you and teaches you how to deal with the unfaithful and how to be like Jesus is with the unfaithful that he died for. Marriage is a perfect example of Christ's love. So listen, it, it, it's so important that we kind of get these foundations because when we're talking about family matters, you need to know that family matters are pouring from this place. Now, what makes this significant? It's significant because if there is no marriage of a husband and wife in the midst of that relationship, then if a person is single and raising a family, they must be married to God. I hope that makes sense to you. They must find a way to understand that they are married to God. They must find a way to reconcile the fact of God as husband. Not in, in a twisted way now. We're talk, not talking about lovers and all of that weird stuff that Christians do because we know God and Christ are not sexual beings. That is reserved for the human realm. The earth realm holds that, not the spirit realm. The earth realm holds that. So we have to make sure that twisted place is out of the way. So when we're talking about family matters, we have to get to a point where we realize that God sees family matters just like he sees Christ's marriage to the church. Christ is the bridegroom and we are the bride. Why do they call Christ the bridegroom? Because Christ is both masculine and feminine, not male, female, but masculine, feminine. God is both masculine and feminine which means he has the qualities that are, are masculine that are needed in the apostolic realm. And he has the feminine qualities that are needed for the nurturing aspect that we see in the prophetic. So let's not twist this and turn it into something else. But for us to cohabitate, for us to exist as male and female in the earth with our specialties that we bring to the table, each of us should be whole with masculine and feminine qualities. Oh, wow. I know I'm stepping deep in this right now and didn't mean to go there, but I feel like we need to see this because most of us see family matters as earthbound. We see it as my husband not doing what I want him to do. My wife not doing what I want her to do. 
We see it as an obedience issue, not a heart issue. We see it as a rules and regulations issue in family. We don't see it from the perspective of God. All God sees is this man and this woman are going to love each other so much that they're going to move beyond their flaws. They're going to move beyond the negative. They're going to love each other to the point of being able to say we are one because I'm giving up my right to be right. I'm giving it up. I'm giving it up. I don't have to have my way. I'll just share the bank account. We don't have to fight over this. I'm going to trust that we are one. This is just an example because, you know, when we're in our head and we're in our flesh, well, if she's spending all the money, then we ain't sharing no bank. I mean, look, we're not talking about that, that stuff right now. We're seeing beyond that. We're seeing beyond that. We should, this, the solution in a situation like that would be maybe you need your own account, right? Not fighting over the account you share, but get another account. That's a solution. That's a solution. And if you're mad because you don't have any money to put in your account, maybe the solution is get a job. Find a way to break free into income so that you can get some to put in your account so you're not fighting over the finances in your home. The kingdom is solutions oriented. Family is a solution. Marriage is a solution, not just we's in love. It's a solution. It's a solution to your heart condition. It's a solution to your ability to um, understand how Christ has loved the church. Oh my goodness. What problems does marriage solve? I have a help meet. I have somebody to share the burdens of the world with. I have someone who's compassionate about my struggle. We can sit in the sunset and cry together. We may not be able to fix it, but we can hold on to each other while we walk through it. I, I, I want you to kind of see this because family matters begin here. So we're going to move on a little bit and we're going to look at this because family matters are important to the Lord. And unfortunately, in today's time, there are believers married to people who despise and hate the church. They hate the people of God. They hate God. You're saved now, but the spouse didn't get saved. Before you got saved, y'all was ace boom coon doing the same thing. I know that was the case with me and my husband, <laughs> you know, but here we have, you know, here we have, thank God we were saved together. That makes a difference. But there are sometimes in situations where one spouse will receive the spirit after 20 years of marriage and the other one in the same place they were 20 years ago. Oh my goodness. So the person that's saved now, all of a sudden, due to religion, due to the machine, due to all the things we've been taught, you just think you're supposed to demand that that spouse do what you're doing now, even though they haven't been touched by the spirit. How cruel is that? Not cruel that the spouse hate God, but cruel because you're trying to force God on the spouse. 
have no compassion for the brokenness that that particular spouse may be in. Christ loved us even before we knew him. Family matters. Family matters. There are sons and daughters, sisters and brothers who are mocked by their family for their faith and for their belief. Jesus went through this. Who is that? Mary's son? That's just a part of it. And we're going to talk about how to deal with these things. But I want you to know that our family is broken. It's broken not only in the church, but it's broken in our understanding, in our understanding and in our own homes. So what happens? What does the scripture say? <laughs> Listen, Deuteronomy 6, it says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Thank God we've already crossed the Jordan. That's the thing of the past. We're not trying to cross Jordan anymore. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commandments that I give you. We know now that all of the decrees and commands are boiled down to two scriptures. Well, one scripture, love God, and then love others as ourselves. We know that. And it says that so that you may enjoy long life. So we can enjoy long life if we understand the intention of God and how these things work in his system, in his kingdom. And it says, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of, our, of your ancestors promised you. Here we go. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. My point of sharing this is not to espouse on Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, which is what this is a, uh, used as the foundation of a Jewish prayer um, that, that is passed down from generation to generation, prayed over their family. This is considered the most important scriptures and it still applies because it is what the scripture is based on in the new covenant. This is the same thing. And this is important to us right now because our families are broken because this isn't the pillar of the foundation. I want you to see this. This isn't the pillar of the foundation of many of our families today. I, would, I tell you, I know many Christians that have families and they don't even teach their children this way. Their children are not taught to fear the Lord. They're, they're teaching them everything, but television is raising them, video games raising them. And so I want us to see that family matters is far deeper than the problem. It's the, it's the foundation that's corrupted. Are you all able to kind of follow me right now? I want to make sure that I'm not going all over the place, but I'm just trying to show you that foundations matter so that when we begin dealing with the specifics 
um, of issues and things that we have, we'll say, oh, there was no foundation. Oh, I can't go back and create that foundation, but I can start with me. I can demonstrate the foundation that I am learning because through me and my interactions, things can change. I may never be able to change the foundation set by others, but I can change mine. And I can start right now. Family matters. It, family matters as in situation and family matters to God. It's significant to God. It's significant to him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your heart because God is concerned with your soul. God is concerned with your soul. God is concerned with your soul, not your bank account. Oh my God, not all the other stuff we make idols. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. I was telling a friend of mine, she grew up in a great home her parents, um, her parents instill these foundations right here in the lives of her brother and her other siblings. Their parents um, instill these principles in their marriage. And they always tell me when we're talking, they're like, I feel like I have nothing to offer the church because we haven't been through a lot of the things. I said, the, your testimony and your contribution is the fact that you can testify to how good God is when you walk according to the love scriptures, the latest, the greatest commandments. I mean, I wish that we didn't have testimonies about how God got me out of the darkness, how, because we've gotten to a point where we elevate our trials, we elevate our tribulations, and we downplay the beauty of people who have walked with the Lord and seen his goodness. We need to see more testimonies and the brave people who have not had to go through the hell that we had rise up and say, this is what God can do when you have family matters that matter. And you can set a precedent like this. So there, there are two sides to this. You have the people going through and you also have the people that had the foundation that protected them from going through. We need both. We need both. We need both. Listen, it is, I'm going to skip ahead because there's a scripture that directly affects this. Where is it? Um, it might be here. Hold on. No, 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 no. It might be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it is. Well, well, I'll just go on. I'll keep going the way I'm going because if I deviate, we'll be in a whole nother part of the world. So I'm going to close out this. Um, I also want to talk about this passage of scripture. Again, Jesus is a family man. God, the father is a family man. Exodus 20 and 12, honor your father and your mother 
so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Such understanding needs to come concerning honor and concerning respect. And we're talking about family matters, family matters. And remember, as I showed you in the conversation about husbands submit to your wives, wives, you know, that kind of thing. When we have it in the right context, we understand that honor is for everybody. Even though this passage of scripture is talking about father and mother dynamic, but the significance of this passage is that learning honor should begin in the home. We live in a time when the disintegration in the families is so severe, so broadly severe that these principles are not being taught. They're just not. They're not even being considered. And we're seeing the legacy of generations that have lived without God at the center. They've had church at the center. They've had Easter service at the center. They've had religion at the center, but they've not had the Lord as father at the center. It's just not been there. They've had work and works and service at the center. They've had concerts at the center. They've had feeling good and hopping around, looking like you in the spirit at the center, but they have not had honor at the center. They've not had father at the center. They honor God by jumping up and down, but there is absolutely no concept of what reverence is because honor comes from the fear of the Lord. It comes from wanting to honor the Lord. It's not about honoring, always just honoring a person. I give dignity to people that probably don't deserve it, but it's not them that I'm honoring. I'm honoring God's plan for them. I'm honoring God's hope for them. I'm honoring the opportunity that maybe my kindness will, will be a catalyst for them turning their heart. Honor is about fear in scripture of the Lord, not fear of people. You can honor people you don't like by simply giving them dignity, by simply walking away from the situation. Oh my God. Man, that needs to be taught because you have so many disrespectful people today. They honor no one. They'll blatantly honor someone before you in a setting in ministry. I've seen it happen and pretend you do not exist. And those people are in your own ministry. I'm telling you, I've seen it. You're going to pick and choose who you honor. You're going to slyly show me who you're standing with. And I'm right there every Sunday teaching, but you only honor in certain situations. Y'all have seen this. You can go through your lives and see it in your own families where certain siblings are singled out and certain siblings are ignored. Same thing, different circumstance. We move in honor by the fear of the Lord, not by favoritism. Oh, that's another story. Let's keep moving. First Timothy 5, 1 through 8. Oh, listen to this. Oh, my goodness. 
Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. In other words, give dignity to those people that are older than you. When I have older people join the conservatory, become a part of the school of the scribe, I always tell them up front, I recognize the significant age difference. You are 25 years older than me, 20 years older than me, 15 years older than me. Listen, they may not have it, it, it be older than me in the spirit realm, but there is an honor that should come with age. And the Bible teaches that consistently from Genesis to Revelation. We should honor it. And I'll say to them, listen, I, I, and that doesn't mean you cannot correct people, but there's a way to do everything. And there are some things you just don't touch. There are some things you just don't say. There are some times where you say, Lord, send other people of that age so they can counsel one another, so they can meet one another where they are, so they can share. Because I've never been that age, so I don't know what it's like. There are things I don't understand, but I understand this. Who I was at 20 years old is way different than who I am at 50 today. I can't even relate to my 20-year-old self in thinking and conversation and decision-making because I'm in a different place. So I have to make room by honor, by the fear of the Lord and saying that's probably gonna be the case if somebody is 15 or 20 years older than you. There's probably going to be uh, 25, 30. Some of you uh, are so young that we're almost 40 years older than you at this point. <laughs> I mean, so that's a different world, not just different says, different world, different mindset. But here is this passage of scripture. And listen, you can study this out on their, your own, but there's a whole lot more about this in Proverbs. We're just not dealing with that right now. But it says, do not rebuke an older man harshly but exhort him as if he were your father. Now we're not talking about abuse. I just want you to hear me. We're not with this, that's a different conversation. Treat younger men as brothers. Ah, so we don't just, I have a mentor who is older than me. If we have a disagreement, I ain't gonna cuss out. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna do it. And I, and, and I love my children, but if they ever walk that way with me, we have to pray a few times after whatever takes place, take place. <laughs> so I, I want you to understand that there is a place, treat younger men as brothers. Every effort that we make in ministry, that doesn't mean there's no leadership. That doesn't mean any of that. It means that you have to meet people with dignity and respect. This is in families. This is in the congregation. You treat older women as mothers. They're not saying they're your mama. That's not it, not it. But if they are significantly older, approach them as you would a mother and treat younger women as sisters with purity and righteousness and hope. Honor is who God is. God honors us. 
In your worst moment, God honors you. In your worst sin, God has honored you with compassion, with counsel, with wisdom, with truth, and he has never caused you harm. Now, your consequences might cause you harm, but God doesn't. God doesn't. Oh, my goodness. I want to skip down. Um, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Contextually, this is talking about um, the laws in that time governing widows and what was required by state law or, or that law in that area. So we need to understand this when we're leading this path. There were rules and laws and regulations that govern the treatment of widows, the treatment of um, no matter what age it was, it governed this. So there's a context to this. We do not have these laws in the United States or in most countries, to be honest. But the principle here is a principle of honor, a principle of respect, a principle of giving dignity. I um I have a situ a family situation, and um, my one of my daughters met her mother for the first time some years ago, and um, it was a situation. It was real bad situation. Well, you know when you're dealing with people who are addicts and people who have all of these different challenges going on in their lives, they've done prison time, um, you know, so you have all of these dynamics. So you're trying to figure out, yes, this is my mom, but I never met her. So how can, and the person chose drugs over me and the per so how do you handle situations like that? You meet them as people. You meet them as people with the understanding of how to give dignity. But listen, there's a whole lot of dynamics in there that may not make you responsible for providing. So we're gonna talk about this a little bit more, but I wanna get us in the mindset of seeing how much God cares about family, how much family matters to him and all the crazy kinds of family matters we have. Because in this passage, we're looking at, oh, what's the family matter? Who's going to take care of the widow? How the widow going to eat? And if the widow had little bitty small children when the husband died, who's responsible for that? Family matters. Family situations right here. Uh, but the first thing they start off with is how do you honor people? Because this is an explosive situation. So if somebody's, if somebody's male relative or father is saying, I'm sorry her husband dead, but she can't come here. He hears Paul telling them, but rebuke an older man gently, an older woman gently. I know you upset about the situation, but you still have to treat younger people as brothers. You still have to treat the older women as mothers. You still have to treat the younger women as sisters because they're flooding to the church right now because they have nowhere else to go. So that was the situation happening here. That's the context of this. So what do you do? What do you do? Ah, uh, here we go. Ephesians 6, one through four. One of my favorite scriptures. Now, this is also in the Old Covenant. I just didn't pull it up. 
but it says Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, children obey parents, your parents in the Lord. That is, accept their guidance and discipline as his representatives. For this is right, for obedience teaches wisdom and discipline, self-discipline. So I, I wanted to use this from the Amplified version to give it clarity because we love blind obedience. But, you know, religion and law love doing what you're told. Actually, the Bible teaches this from the perspective of children obey your parents in the Lord. That in the Lord part goes all the way back to the foundation of understanding that loving Christ, loving one another as Christ loves the church is about foundations. What were you taught at the foundation? It's about meeting people at the foundations of love, the foundations of, of, of Jesus in those relationships. I need for you to really grasp hold of this. If Jesus is standing at the foundation, then honor and obedience can be a part of that. It's, it's that simple. It really is. But it has to be the Lord at the center. Honor, esteem, value is precious, your father and your mother, and be respectful to them. This is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may have a long life in the earth. God has a vision for family. He wants our parents to be honored. He wants, uh, he wants us to give honor where honor is due. He wants us to fear him in this place, not because people deserve it, but because he requires us to be like Jesus. Oh, ho, ho, ho. I hope this is coming together for you. I hope this is coming together because when we can see that the intention is to be like Christ, it becomes less and less personal and more and more about God. Ugh. Fathers, this is the best part of this. Do not provoke your children to anger. If you were raped by your, your father, if you're a male who was forced into and raped by your mother or a male, um, another male relative or whatever, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to a point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them. Oh, some of us have been honoring parents that have treated us like crap out of cultural obligation, not understanding that there is a freedom there, but bring them up tenderly in love and kindness, in discipline and instruction. See, we need to say this because we need to understand that God understands and comprehends family matters. He knows that some circumstances and situations will cause you to be torn away from blood because blood is not tender, it's not loving, it's not kind, it's not honoring. So as we go through these scriptures, looking at how God views blood family, 
how he looks at family matters, it'll help us. It'll help us. I, you know, I grew up in a family that, that um, just in a family taught in the church, spiritual family, all of that, in which people just expect you to go back to anything. They expect you to put up with anything. There are some things we will not tolerate because they dishonor God. I'm going to say that again. It's not just that they're wrong. They dishonor God. And they dishonor you who are in God. Oh, God, may we get free. Because religion and law teaches us to put up with and suffer through anything. But that is not what the scriptures teach us in light of Christ. Oh, my God. Oh. We've got to get some of these things in order. We have to see the scripture uh, about how Christ loves the church as the foundation for, for what family should be. But because our families have not been connected to the source, it makes navigating the dynamics that much harder. I am only a minister in my family. I am the only minister in my family, so I'm obligated to minister to everybody. Who said that? That ain't in the Bible. But that is what religion teaches. You might not even be appointed to bring everybody in your family to Jesus. And that could be the reason why you're having so many problems. I'm just saying. I know where people get that from, but it's not an accurate interpretation of that scripture. God did promise to save the whole household, but we need to read that in context so we're not in bondage to some crazy tradition. My family is filled and overflowing with drama. What is my position? Well, your position is to take care of your own house and to get yourself out of the drama. What can you do to exit the room when wisdom is not received? <laughs> I mean, what can you do? If God doesn't force us, how dare we believe that we can force others? There's so much we need to work through. Wow, I was a part of a church one time where all the church people in leadership were family members. It was the most toxic and ridiculous environment I have ever been in in all my days in ministry. I have never seen anything as horrible as that. I'm not saying it cannot go well, but if you really wanna get, it, get an idea of toxicity, when you can't distinguish the pastor from daddy, the mama from the prophet of the house, and the poor children don't know whether to scream Jesus or cry mama. It's horrible. You have people who leave church and they still calling their wife, prophet, what we gonna eat when we get home? Apostle, be a wife when you get home. Honey, what do you want to eat? What are we going to cook? We going to watch a movie? No, you're going to bring all of that back home. It's Listen, family matters. 
family matters. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Oh, we almost done. We almost done. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires the good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy. We know all of that. And then it says here, verse four, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? On a very basic level today, people have taken all of this to extremes. It's all true because again, it's family matters. Why is this important? It's important because people follow you, not just because of your words, but because of how you live. I want to say that again. People follow you, not just because of your words, your revelation, your phenomenal singing ability, the presence of Holy Spirit when you open your mouth, but true ministry is in how you live. That's the bigger revelation in this passage. And it's not just for bishops and overseers and elders. It's anybody who claim they got a ministry. You need to be straight. Your first family matter is you. Your first family matter is you. Are you all right? Are you living a double life? Are you teaching things you don't practice? How about that? I mean, really, how about this situation? Maybe I'll say it like that instead of using country slang. But listen, here we are looking down the barrel of ministry and saying, are you gentle? <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm not talking personality. I'm talking intentionality. How are you leading? How are you leading? How are you guiding? Some people say, well, I've been with this ministry a long time. Nobody lets me teach. Well, we're looking at your life. What is the lifestyle like? What family matters? Oh my goodness. Family matters. Family matters. God cares. And he's not trying to control you. He's trying to protect us. Joshua 24 and 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. We're living in Babylonian land. You know, some of our family are on the other side of the Euphrates, <laughs> you know? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Oh, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. If you missed it with your children when they were growing up, you can start now with your spiritual children, with your grandchildren. You can start now with your children if they're still in the home. You can start. You can start. 
What is this undesirable to you mean? It means you won't make peace in your home. You're just going to insist on your way. Well, you need to go to church with me every Sunday in order for our marriage to work. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. That's force. The church isn't going to get you saved. Right? It's not the building that salvation is in. <laughs> oh, my God. The church is not in that building. The church is in your home and in you. Oh, my God. Ridiculous. Religion will have us grieving for something that we need to just let go. Praying witchcraft on their husband every day. <laughs> I mean, my God, or that wife. Next scripture, Matthew 12, 46 to 50. When Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Well, Jesus was full-blown in his ministry at this point. He knew his calling. He knew um, that his family did not understand who he was. He had already, he had transitioned into a new place. And all he said for them was, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said to them, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, some of us transition out of blood families. We transition uh, as we mature in our faith. We move past the things that kept us bound in our family and compromise. Because see, sometimes the things that happen in our families and the dynamics that our family pulls us into compromises our faith. It compromises our maturity. It compromises our belief. We can love them, but we find that we're pulled to the family that understands us and that relates to where we are now. Jesus understands family matters. And there's much that he teaches us about navigating that. This wasn't dismissive. This wasn't rude or nasty. It was a declaration that I'm at a place in my life when I am most productive and at peace with the family that is walking in the same household that I am walking in. That are embracing the things that I am embracing right now. I can come to the family reunion. I'll enjoy that once a year but I can't do weekly visits right now because when I do weekly visits, you are all disrespectful and you don't, you just not that I, I don't need you to call me pastor. I don't need you to call me prophet. I don't need that, but I don't need you to mock me and laugh at me and make me feel bad because of my calling and make healing jokes and, and make me feel stupid because I follow Jesus. Absolutely, familiarity breeds content. And sometimes that's enough to make a declaration like this. What if I'm married to a person like that? Pray that the Lord causes you to rise above that situation. 
pray that the Lord brings peace to your home. Pray that the Lord directs every word that comes out of your mouth. But it's not fair. It's not fair. Well, it's an opportunity to mature. It's not fair that God has had to wait on some of us for 40 years before we got saved. It's not fair that he had to come. I mean, my goodness, life is not fair. Grow from it if you're in a situation that allows you to grow. Suppose you're, you're with a, a person in relationship and they're faithful. They do everything they're supposed to do. They just don't like God, but they take care of you. They love family trips. We have to figure out how to be the light in the midst of darkness. All individual situations that we face and God is able to navigate all of them. But the first place we need to look at is, is my heart right concerning this family matter? Am I in the right place? Ah, last scripture. We've talked about this and I, and I hope that we've gotten to a point where I can share this with you again and again and again, because healing is the ministry of reconciliation reconciliation is the ministry of healing it is that place in us in which we're understanding that everything in our lives need to be made whole sometimes we teach healing separate from reconciliation well i've seen it mostly taught separate from reconciliation because we don't understand that what we're trying to do is be the bride of Christ, that we're moving into that place where our soul is freed up, that we can be the bride without spot or wrinkle, that we can go into darkness and become the light, that while we're in darkness, we can fight for our light and we can fight to come out of darkness because sometimes we have to leave the darkness behind. We can't always reconcile things the way they are. We have to let things go and just let God have his way in that. And we have to find our place of peace. And that sense in finding that place of peace is you finding your reconciliation. It's you learning how to reconnect with the source. Paul said this, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. One of the most um, misconstrued things that I have taught and that I have been um, privy to teaching, um, to privy to the teachings of, is recognizing that um, I've always thought of healing as everything in my life being fine and working perfectly. I'm healed if I have all the money I want. I'm healed if I get the job God promised. I'm healed if um, I'm wearing all of this, whatever I'm wearing. I'm healed if all of my dreams come true. But the bottom line is this, healing and peace is internal, not external. Reconciliation is internal first. You must be reconciled. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in you. It's your personal threefold cord. It's your, it's your personal threefold cord. 
that's that the Lord is trying to bind together. It's internal. So even if the outward circumstances don't change, you can still be free if you can learn how to pursue what is everlasting. This is what full measure is. This is what maturity looks like. I mean, if you've ever been married, you've had bad at any, any length of time, you've had bad moments in that marriage. You've had total separations that have gone through. But the beautiful part about it is when you can, and some of you know what I'm talking about, where even when, when you get to that place where you suddenly disconnect from the pain, not a negative disconnection, but a place where you have grown so much that it doesn't matter what the decision is the person makes. Oh my God. It doesn't matter because you've forgiven, you've let go, you found yourself, you found your value, you recognize what you bring to the table, you realize that you don't need somebody else to put you together, you realize that all I need to do is find out who I am, and once I find that out and I can be at peace with that, whatever decision anybody else makes has nothing to do with me because I'm free. That applies not only to marriage, but to family as well. You've given your best. You've given everything you can possibly give. You've, done, you've tried everything. You've grieved. The grieving has come to an end. The longing has come to an end. The need for that person physically and spiritually is no longer with you. And what's in its place is a compassion for them because you are now able to see their struggle. You're now able to see their inadequacy. You're now able to see that it was not you. Oh my God. It's the same way with family. Look, he says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands but eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Yeah, he's talking about assurance in the resurrection. He's talking because there's a guarantee and we won't be found uncovered. We won't be found without love. We won't be found without peace and without patience. This is the place we are going into. For we who are, are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. Our goal is to be clothed because that mortality may be swallowed up by life. In other words, life will kill you. It will kill you if you allow it. That's why I've learned and I practice this all the time. Even if you make a mistake, even if you do something, the best thing you can do for yourself is let it go. Because if it holds on to you, you will be swallowed up by it. This is why we want people healed. 
This is why we want people free. This is why we want salvation to come. This is why we have to deal with mother wounds and father's wounds. This is why we have to mind our own business. This is why it's not our burden what this person and that person is doing and us figuring it out. Because at the end of the day, you still don't know what's happening in another person's heart. As much as you think you know them, you don't know that. Only God knows. We have to figure out how to unburden ourselves. When it comes to family matters, unburdening ourselves is the number one thing we need to grab hold of, is releasing ourselves of burdens that are not ours to carry. I want you to know that we have to unburden ourselves of things that are not ours. I can't hate, help that I'm the black sheep of the family. If I'm the black sheep of the family, I just need to find a family where I am a sheep along with everybody else. I'm not going to fight that. I can't fight that dead place anymore. What can I do to disconnect myself from that treatment and that feeling? I need to be reconciled in my black sheep thought process and I need to come back into my sonship where I'm fully accepted and fully received. What is it in me that keeps me holding on to that rejection in that place? Absolutely, it's not my debt. Jesus paid it. Therefore, we make it our aim, verse nine, I'm skipping, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I just want to say to you that it's not just about sin. Or, oh, I slept with so-and-so, so I stole some money, or I cussed somebody out, or I didn't treat so It's not just those kinds of things. It's also how you think about yourself. It's sin to think about yourself contrary to how the Lord sees you. That's a sin. It's a sin to see yourself as a worm. And, and, and I mean, it's a sin. Seeing yourself as a worm and a grasshopper instead of an eagle. Oh my God, that's a sin. It's a sin to think less of yourself than you really are. That's a sin. It's contrary to the foundation. Healing. We're talking about healing. Oh, but healing is reconciliation. Healing is reconciliation. It's, it's reconciliation. It's, it's not. See, we're not in law anymore. Law, that's a sin. That's a sin. That's a sin. Listen, you're going to be doing, if you start out labeling sins, you're going to be doing that until the day you die because there's no end to it. It's a, it's a black hole. You're always going to find things that are wrong. Christ is on the side of life and he's looking for himself. Oh my God. If somebody can just get that. But I want to get to verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you the opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer 
for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. There's a lot of outward boasting today. It's not about the soul and the condition of it. It's outward. What I got, I want you to see how God is blessing me. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, the best witness you can ever have is your peace. I've had family members say, I don't know how you do it, Risa. You just stepped away from everything. I'm like, I have the peace of Christ. Once I unloaded and unburdened myself from family, not negatively, but I just can't carry that anymore. You just can't carry it anymore. It's too heavy and you can't fix it. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. And if we are sound of mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Mm, 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 mm. I want to tell you that the love of Christ compels everything that we do in his name. Sin should not be the thing that compels you. Love should be. We should be compelled by love. Listen, there are a lot of people who are so obsessed with other people's sin that they're compelled to set them free of their sin. They're not compelled by love. It's a very twisted view that they have going to tell people the truth. The Lord told me to deliver this truth. And if they don't receive it, it's on them. And it, that's not love. It's twisted. We should be compelled by love. Oh my God, I see you are hurting. I see you are broken. Wow, I see where you are. You're in your blood. Oh man, I know God has already passed by. You know, there's a difference. They just evil. That might be true. But love covers. God is still God. 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. What? Mm, 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 mm. We have to see family matters through the eyes of God. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, they did. Yet now know him, thus no longer from the flesh. Because Christ, while Christ is Jesus, <laughs> he's the new Christ. Jesus, he left behind. He left his old man behind to pursue something greater. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to him through Jesus Christ and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to him. Oh my God. In other words, Jesus is not going around reminding people of every dark day they've ever had. But rather he's saying, you don't have to have dark days anymore because I'm going to reconcile your heart. I'm going to reconcile your mind. I'm going to reconcile your relationships. I'm going to give you new relationships. I'm going to give you a new family. I'm going to give you um, a fullness in the areas where you feel incomplete. 
but I want you to trust that I will do that for you. Father, we just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you are healing and dealing with our family matters, that you are coming into that place, Father, where some, some of us are still longing for our living parents to love us and treat us as if we're not the black sheep, where some of us, Father, are in marriages where um, people, male or female, Lord, where where our spouses are not in agreement with what we are doing and where we are heading. Father, some of us are in families where we're, 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 um, we have breaks between siblings. Some siblings haven't even talked to, talk to one another in 20 years. There's disparages. There's differences. There's still anger and resentment from long ago. Some of us are just separated from siblings because our parents had a late pregnancy and and my God, they were grown when I was born and we just never connected. Father, I thank you that you are healing people from those types of family matters in Jesus name. You are healing them, Father, from wrongs done, from people who are still holding grudges when they were in sin. Lord, they can't let go of their past, but you've let go. Father, I thank you that you are showing us how to divinely live at the foundation of family that you have created. Father, I pray for release for them. I pray for them being unburdened. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that they are a people without false obligation. We thank you, Father, for true obligation, for true honor as you have ordained it. But we thank you, Father, for correct boundaries. We thank you for causing us not to be obligated by other people's trauma in the name of Jesus, our hardship, our struggle, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, just because they abandoned all seven of those kids does not mean that that grandmother has to take all seven of those kids in. Father, we understand tradition. We under, But if you give them different instructions, that they are able to trust that they are not condemned because of the decisions that they are making before you that rest well in their relationship with you, Father. I thank you, Lord God, that you are moving us out of all of these places where institution and religion has caused us to be bound. Father, we, we disagree and fall out of agreement with indifference. You're not calling us into indifference. That's not a good type of separation. And it is not reconciliation. That's another level of hurt and brokenness. Father, we declare in the name of Jesus that we are not indifferent to our family, which is a lack of sympathy, a lack of concern, a lack of care. It's like whatever in our minds. That's not what you're saying when we unburden ourselves. We still care. We still concern. We still, and our compassion is greater, but we weep for their condition, Lord, not, not, and the indifference that some of us have slipped into. I pray, Father, that you heal the hearts of those that have confused indifferent indifference with unburdening themselves because those two are not the same thing. You can let go and still have compassion. You can be free and still care and want reconciliation, but it just means that you are not under um, condemnation for it in Jesus' name. Father, we stand against complacency concerning our family. 
Lord God. Being unburdened does not mean that we have to be complacent. It does not mean that we don't release truth. It does not mean that we don't care. And Lord, I thank you that we are not a complacent people because you're not a complacent God. You are an active God. You simply raise up your hand and you say, I'm here standing. I'm here waiting for you. I won't force myself on you. I won't force my way in. I won't make demands. But when you're ready, I am here. You can just walk up to me and I'm going to take you in with open arms and I'm going to wrap my arms around you because I'm not complacent, but I give you the freedom to make your choice. I just don't have to enter into your chaos. I don't have to enter into your confusion. I don't have to become party to your abuse. So I'm going to stand back and I'm going to love you. And when you're ready, I'll still be here. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that we will avoid being disconnected, where we disconnect, disassociate in the name of Jesus. That's not the kind of relationship that you're calling us into. That's delusion, God. That's delusion. That's splitting. That's separation. And that's dangerous. That's compartmentalizing. That's pushing things back in a corner that we have not dealt with or don't know how to deal with. So we detach, we disassociate, we split. Father, we declare those that are split. Lord, we declare healing. We declare an outpouring of unity in them, of spirit, of soul, of body in the name of Jesus, that they come to themselves and that they deal with the issues that they are facing and that they allow themselves to heal so that you, Lord, can bring them into those places of wholeness in Jesus' name. Detachment, unattaching, those things are dangerous. Complacency, indifference, that's not the portion that we have. We can fight for our freedom. We can fight for our independence. We can set boundaries, but it does not mean we have no feeling around it. It simply means that we've taken our hands off and we are moving out of the way of playing God. We're moving out of our role as little Holy Spirits. And we're really saying, it's, Lord, you just heal me. Help me heal God from the rejection. Help me heal from what I'm feeling. And Lord, as I heal, just make me strong. Fortify me in you, Lord, so that I can stand and continue, even in the midst of the misunderstanding and the disruption. Let me be quick to repent. Let me be quick. But Lord, after I do that, it's not on me anymore to make the next move. I've done everything I can. It's in your hand. I pray that we understand the fullness of reconciliation, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Ayesha, koyara, 